It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? A lot of people think this is the year of the Chargers. Vegas handicappers, NFL insiders. Fortunately, I've been down this road before. Another reminder that the Chargers didn't make the playoffs last year. NFL Network, another reminder that the Chargers did not make the playoffs last year. They lost in Las Vegas. Get me some anti-Charger stuff in here now. Sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. They have the choke gene. They choke. The Chargers with the C, they choke. I should have nine lines packed every segment destroying the Chargers. Use the phone like a weapon. I want an all-out assault from the Raider Nation on the opposition. Just win, baby. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, I'm fired up. What a day, what a day, what a day. Chargers are in town. USC, Utah in town. The rodeo's in town. What a great time to be in Vegas. Welcome into the show. We are packed with action today. Excited that you could be here on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio on the Raiders mobile app or anywhere in the world. My dad, who's driving around New Paltz, New York, just puts uh, out his phone, clicks on the radio, and he can hear his son all the way in Vegas. I love that Raiders mobile app. I love LVSportsNetwork.com and those who are listening on Raider Nation Radio 920 in Vegas. Here's what we got. Head coach, Josh McDaniels, in about eight, nine minutes. Excited about that. Bottom of the hour, Scott Kaplan, who could talk football, sideline reporter for years for CBS, evening drive in L.A. on the Chargers. And what at, what's at stake with the Chargers? Because the Chargers are trying to build the brand. They're trying to build the brand in a bigger market, much bigger market, than Vegas, so they need to beat the Raiders to build their brand. If the Chargers win, they'll have a sweep on the silver and black this year. We can't allow that. Raiders got to win this game for multiple reasons. They have to win this game, but important to me is slowing down the Chargers' playoff push. How are they flexing out of Patrick Mahomes and flexing into a Charger game next week? Is anybody talking about that other than me? They're putting the Chargers on Sunday night football two out of three weeks. I mean, what's going on here? If the Raiders beat the Chargers, you can have an honest debate as the Chargers season could come to an end because that would give them six losses. And if you look at where what's at stake, I got their schedule in front of me. They're going to lose another one at least, maybe two. So this feels like an elimination game, and it should. The Raiders put themselves in this position. You are what your record is, and the Raiders are now starting to dig out of this hole. They're trying. With the players who are available to play on this roster, they're playing their ass off. They're playing their ass off, and they're together in the locker room, which is really important to me because we told you that. As everybody was jumping ship, some people jumping off the ship like rats, just jumping off the ship, taking shots at their own team. We said, calm down, calm down. Let's get the coach, the GM on. Let's hear what they have to say about this building process. It's not perfect. Can't guarantee it will be perfect. But you got to know the plan. I think you get the plan. Now that you know the plan, go win games. Go beat the Chargers. And then an opportunity to stay, stay hot. As Fred Bolitnikoff told me two weeks ago, just get to the Charger game. Just get to the Charger game. And the Raiders did. They won back-to-back games in overtime. Very rare to do that. Very rare to do that in sports. In the NBA, it's rare to win two road games in overtime before you come home. Think of it in baseball, Major League Baseball, winning road, extra inning games back-to-back, then coming home. Football's much more important because there's a limited amount of games, and every game's do or die. We're brought to you by PTs, and I was on a conference call with them today. They're a proud partner of the show. 
They are hosting American soccer tomorrow. 60-plus locations here. The sound will be up. They will have the drink specials. They'll have the food, and they're asking you to come if you want to watch soccer. In order to do that, you got to get up early. you got to get up at 6 in the morning. Do it. If you're a sports fan and you love America, get up at 6 in the morning and go to a PT's and watch the game there with your friends. Put on a USA shirt. Do you have a USA shirt somewhere? Somewhere in the back of your closet, you should buy something that has America on it. Go to PT's, get a Bloody Mary, and root for America as they play Netherlands. And this is a big game because, as you saw today, South Korea advanced. The whole country was crying tears of joy. A country, not a city, a country, as they were able to advance. And Uruguay was knocked out of the tournament because they didn't score enough goals. They won 2-0. Jeff Sherman, who normally joins us from the Westgate, just tweeted me this. This is the game tomorrow with the Netherlands. To advance, USA plus 190. Netherlands minus 220. You got to bet $220 to win 100 if you're going with the Netherlands. In 90 minutes, USA plus 350. Netherlands minus one and a draw, plus 230. And the 90-minute total, two over minus 130 under plus 110. I don't know, if you're a gambler and you can hear my voice, if you're a gambler and can hear my voice, how dare you not put $50 on your country? How do you not? Even if you think Netherlands is better, how do you not peel a 20 or a 50 or go on your app and just put a couple of bucks for the mojo, the positive mojo on Christian Pulisic and hoping that America can win this game? Hey, if America wins, they go to the Elite Eight. That's pretty good. I'll be talking about USC as I'll be at the torch tonight. Uh, going with some friends who are in town. This is a huge game. This is another thing that Mark Davis and a lot of other people who helped Mark Davis bring the stadium here should be proud of. The Pac-12 is losing USC and UCLA after next year. So I can pretty much guarantee you almost, and maybe it'll happen next year before USC leaves, but it's rare, that Allegiant Stadium tonight at 5 p.m. is going to host a game that is so important. Remember we talked about Ohio State and Michigan last week? And Ohio State got knocked out. Well, the only way Ohio State could get back in is they need USC to lose tonight. So the whole state of Ohio is going to be watching Vegas tonight. The whole state of Michigan is going to be watching it. Everybody in Georgia, around the country, and it's going to be showcased at Allegiant Stadium. It's a must-win game for USC as they get a trip to the Final Four, which is hard to do if they're able to do it. And the Heisman Trophy is on the line. I talked to a USC insider this morning that said, worst case scenario, if Caleb Williams throws three interceptions and one's a pick six and USC loses, USC could lose the playoffs and the Heisman Trophy. Man, that's pressure. Talk about Uruguay and South Korea and Portugal. That's a lot of pressure on SC. And reportedly, a lot of SC fans, as you know, are Raider fans. And they are gobbling up suites and tickets. USC is going to have an army of fans here. And we know Utah travels well. That game's at 5 o'clock, as I'll tell you next hour. Traffic. I love living out here. I was telling Bobby that because we don't have any traffic compared to what I'm used to. I'm from New York. I lived in L.A. for 10 years. San Francisco for two. Traffic was a nightmare. Here we have the beautiful 215 that wraps around the beltway. It's beautiful. Rarely a car in front of me, even when I drive out to deep, deep, deep Henderson from Summerlin to visit the Raiders. No cars in front of me. Maybe one or two at the 15 interchange. Get to the game early tonight. 
There is traffic on Friday. There is traffic at the interchange. There will be traffic. If you're Ubering, if you're walking over, doing whatever you're doing, give yourself a little bit of time. All right, so before we get to the head coach, Josh McDaniels, what's at stake here for the Raiders? Momentum. Something the Raiders have not had all year since the preseason, where they had fabulous momentum. No penalties. The dual workout with New England, they crushed New England like a bug. New England was here for two days. Belichick twirling the whistle over in Henderson. Raiders dominated it. They almost shut down practice. Devontae Adams was eating up the Patriots. Patriots played last night and got boat raced by Buffalo. So what's at stake here, when the Raiders came out of preseason, they had limited penalties, healthy players, and they opened up against the Chargers. They didn't show up in the first half. And they couldn't guard Khalil Mack with Colt Miller, who I went out on a limb and said he'd go to the Pro Bowl this year. So that game, the Raiders started off slowly, and then the Raiders stormed back in the second half and had the ball with an opportunity to win the game late and couldn't do it. And that started off this season of, oh my God, they're losing every game by one possession. How is this happening? One possession here. One possession there. It started against the L.A. Chargers in front of a sea of silver and black. And that was the beginning of a troubled season this year when it came to win-losses. Now guys are hurt. Guys are coming off IR. Guys who might be here next year aren't playing as much. Guys who might be here next year are playing a little bit more. And after talking to the GM yesterday, I think it's clear that they're still evaluating these players for next year, but they want to win every game. Raiders aren't playing for a draft pick, everybody. They'll either get the ninth pick, the 12th pick. If they make this magical run, it'll be the 17th pick, whatever it is. Okay, last year, you know, they, they cut the 17th pick overall, Alex Leatherwood, from the year before. Jonathan Abram just got cut by Green Bay, picked up by Seattle. What Dave Ziegler is trying to do is he's trying to clean house of the players who will not be here, and some of them are good men and good players, and they're going to have an opportunity to play out the end of the season to get a job somewhere else because the Raiders need better players in house next year who can figure out the defense and be electric on defense. And they got to figure out the uh, players that they paid and are here who got enormous contracts, what they're going to do the rest of the way. So there's a lot on the line in this game. Raider fans get mad at me when I say Justin Herbert is elite. What the hell are you getting mad at? He's one of the greatest I've ever seen, and I've seen them all. I've seen Elway live, Marino live, Montana live. Not not on TV. I've seen him in the building. Herbert is that good. He is that good. Fortunately, he plays for a team that has bad ownership. They have to pay rent in L.A., and his guys are always hurt. This guy's amazing. This guy is like Elway, Warren Moon, some lab experiment. Get him on the ground. Can someone please show up other than Mad Max Crosby, please? Can Mad Max, who's getting triple teamed and getting to the quarterback, can Chandler Jones find his legs this game and play great at Allegiant Stadium? We're waiting for it. So I got a lot more to get to. I want to get to Chris in West Oakland before we get the coach on. Chris calling in. Start us off. Set the tone with the importance of this game, Chris. Well, as I've said, JT, for the last three weeks, I will not discuss running the table, what it takes to make the playoffs. I'll look at the game ahead for me. 
on what this game represents, JT, just like last week. If you win against the Chargers, you breathe for another week. I don't know that a loss knocks the Chargers out because they're still ahead of the Raiders, but it puts the Raiders in position. So, again, I'm not going to talk about magical run because we're still too far away, and I still think that's unrealistic. But we can breathe another week. And what needs to be done is what always needs to be done, JT. Look at the Raiders' four victories, 32-38, 22 against a horrible Denver offense that allowed them to win, and 40 points last week. We're not going to beat the Chargers 20-17 to or 17-13. to Embrace the shootout. Do what it takes to score 35 to 40 points because that might not be enough, but that's probably going to be the minimum. We've also had at least one turnover in every single victory we've had. That play Denzel Perryman made last week, I haven't seen a Raider defensive back make a play like that since Charles Woodson. Had a beat on the ball, stepped in front of the receiver, and held on to it. We need two plays like that, not one, probably two to beat the Chargers. And I'm with you about Justin Herbert. This kid is a stud. My biggest fear is that boy genius Staley screws things up so bad that they're going to fire him at the end of the year and they're going to end up with Sean Payton to go along with him, which is what I'd do if I was the Chargers. So for the Raiders to win this week, JT, and again, I'm not predicting wins anymore. I'm saying this is what they have to do. They've got to score a minimum 35 points. To do that, they probably need a minimum two turnovers. And you're right. Somebody besides Max Crosby, hello, Chandler Jones, earn a paycheck for once. I'm tired of hearing a guy we gave $50 million to that he does things that don't show up in the stat sheet. You don't give a guy that kind of money for intangibles and incentives that don't show up in the the stat sheet. You're paying him to wreak havoc on the other team's offense. And if Chandler Jones does that and can show up to play, we got a chance of beating the Chargers, JT. I'm going to predict if all those things happen, we win this game 38-35 in an old-school AFL shootout. If we don't get any turnovers, I don't think the Raiders can win this game. But again, this isn't about the rest of the year. This isn't about the draft choice. Win, and we can call your show next week knowing we've still got a pulse and a heartbeat. Lose, and it's probably look forward to the draft. Thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Have a great time tonight. Go USC. I'm sorry to see these guys leaving the Pac-12. This fact that these greedy bastards won't have it put in a college football playoff is the reason the traditions in these conferences are all breaking up, and it makes me sad to see, know that USC will no longer be in a Pac-12. Thank you, my brother. I'll talk to you soon. Wow, Chris in West Oakland. How fortunate are we to have him light up the phones and get it going there? One of the things that Chris said is you want to fall in love with the run? You want to fall in love with the run, right? It shortens the game. It makes the game lower scoring. Now, Josh Jacobs goes over 300 yards. It's a different thing. But what Chris just said, I tend to agree with him, only with Herbert, is embrace the shootout. Embrace the shootout, and without Bosa playing, for Carr to roll the pocket away from Khalil. Roll the pocket away from Khalil and attack with Devontae downfield. I agree with him. I think it go, the game might be 2017, but like Chris, I think the game will be in the 30s. It's a desperation game. Yesterday, I was at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center in my conversation with the head coach. We welcome in head coach Josh McDaniels. And, Coach, let's start with the obvious. Josh Jacobs, 229 yards. It's the franchise single-game record. But a lot of people helped them get there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I, we gave the game ball to our offensive line, you know, and um, you know helped, helped produce a lot of uh, yards in the running game. Uh, kept Derek clean for the most part all day. Um, did a really good job against a physical front, a group that uh, has created issues for people in the past. But... 
they were so they were good. Jakob was good. Foster oh. was good. Um, really got you know Jet Josh started and got him through the line of scrimmage, which was big. This is what you always thought of Jakob, right? When he's coming through and he's just burying people. The strength of him, he gets stronger throughout the game. He does, and throughout the season. Uh, I mean, he's in the weight room every day, you know, and so. Uh, this is a guy that understands his role. Um, he brings an, an added element of toughness to our offense, and I think that was on full display on Sunday. Let's go back to the offensive line. And, Josh, what are you seeing when you look at the tape? Is he hitting the holes fast? Is he waiting for it? And what about the blocking at the next level? Yeah, he's got great patience, you know. And I like the, the touchdown one, uh, run to, to seal it, you know, he just hit it because it was there. Um, but if it's not and it's a little bit of a gray area, he, he, he bides his time behind the line of scrimmage and, uh, our offensive line coach calls him an owl because he, he sees like he sees everything, you know, and he can find the hole if it's backside, front side, or right in front of him. And uh, the second level blockers, including the receivers, um, you know, Matt Collins, Keelan Cole, some of those guys really helped get on the second level people to, to allow him some more space to run. So, Josh, the only player since 1950 with 225 on the ground, 70 yards reception. You're a guy from Canton. When you yeah. think of the history, I like when you talk yes. about the history and what you know about this league. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's been a handful of games that I've been a part of where you come out of the game yeah. and you didn't recognize or realize what was happening. Um, but then you look back on it and you really appreciate how special it was. And I think that's how we're going to look at Sunday. Abdullah Moreau and Cole. Let's talk about their effort overall, their production, but what you're seeing with the effort. Yeah, great effort. And, you know, the thing I, I love about them is the ball doesn't always find them, you know, often. Uh, but when it does they're ready and they make the plays, you know, and Amir had some really critical third down catches, a big touchdown. Foster had another third down catch for a touchdown. Uh, and then Keelan comes up with one in overtime. You know, he had one a week ago in Denver in the two minute drive. And then here he is again in, in overtime. So um, it, it sometimes it's hard for guys to play 40, 50 minutes and not touch the ball and then be ready when their number's called. But those guys have been ready to go. Is that more practice reps, more film study? What's the key to that success? Yeah, I think just, just running every route and expecting the ball to come to you, even if it doesn't. You know what I mean? And that's sometimes hard. But I think those guys have really got into a good rhythm. Um, they know when, hey, I have to clear out on this route to, some, to give somebody else a chance. They do their job the, the right way. And, and they play hard for 60 minutes. And then when the ball finds them, they're ready. It's rare in any sport to have back-to-back -back overtime wins, let alone on the road. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that momentum coming back to Allegiant Stadium? Yeah, I think we just keep our focus on the process. Um, obviously, this is a team that it's a division game at home, and it's a really important game for our season. Uh, it's an important game in our division. Um, you know, it's another conference opponent for us so uh, that beat us the first game of the year. So uh, there's a lot of reasons for us to really just pour ourselves into this game, not worry about what happened the last couple weeks here. We know that that doesn't really guarantee us anything this week, but um, I love our energy uh, and our attitude, and I think we've started our preparation the right way. A few weeks ago, we sat here and you talked about beating Denver and how much hard you work to make sure you dot every I and cross every T. You lost to this team. Yep. How does your perception change with that? It, it's a little different in that they, they probably have the, the advantage of saying, hey, w they had a, a few more things work in the first game, um, you know, and, and they did some things that I'm sure they felt pretty good about. Uh, so for us, we just have to look at the things that, 
that hurt us and try to make sure that we come up with an answer or a solution for our players and uh, and have a good week of practice. Austin Eckler has 80 receptions. Yep. So what is he doing? Because you face Kamara, Etienne. Yep. Is it getting him to the ground quickly or spotting him on formations and kind of keeping a spy on him or just stopping him early? It's kind of all of the above. Yeah. Um, they put him everywhere. Uh, he's in the backfield and catches passes. He's out wide. They put him in empty formations. They motion him. Um, so I think it's really just as much we have to be aware of him, where he's at in his alignment, and then we have to close the space to him. So if we have coverage near him, it's got to be tighter, you know, or else the ball is going to go to him. That's what Justin does. So um, closing the space, being aware of his alignment, and then once he has it, we got to tackle. Khalil Mack had a good first game. Yep. He was dominant in that game. What yep. do you do now to kind of neutralize him? He's very familiar with your personnel. He's a great player. Yeah, he is, and uh, it's hard to stop great players like him and – uh, I think our tackles have, have improved as the year has gone on. Um, he has a great power rush, um, you know, and he, he's, he's really slippery on the edge and he can come back inside. So I think we're just going to be, number one, aware of his alignment because at this point he's playing on both sides of the line okay. of scrimmage now. He's not just playing on the left. He's playing on the right and the left with Bosa out. So uh, knowing where he's at, if we have somebody assigned to help on him, then we got to do our job and we got to stay inside out. Herbert with the eye discipline. When we talked about um, Patrick Mahomes in the past, what have you seen similar or different as he's always looking downfield and trying to look you off? Yeah, he does a great job. Um, And he's always looking for something down the field. Uh, You said it right. And so um, I think it starts with our pass rush. Uh, We have to be very disciplined with the pass rush because this guy's a really good athlete. Uh, if we run by him and open up the middle, he's just going to take off and run. And, you know, it's 20, 25 yards every time he does it. So uh, being where we're supposed to be, being in our lanes, being disciplined to do it on every pass play, staying deep in the deep part of the field, not letting him have anything easy behind us, and just making him earn everything he gets. Let's go back to the interior pass rush for you. Good game in Seattle. Yeah. That opens it up for Max and Chandler. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them after the game? Because the unsung heroes in that game were going up against no Geno question. Smith. Very critical that we have somebody pushing in front of them. Um, you know, and, and most of the time in Seattle, we were where we were supposed to be. And anytime a quarterback feels that pressure in his face, it's harder to step up. And then that gives the guys that are running around the edge a little bit more opportunity to, to, to get to them. So I think that the pass rush that we have now is starting to see how every person works together. You know, if we get a push in the middle, then the edge guys have a better chance. If we rush hard off the edge and he has to step up, then these guys have a chance. So um, it's, it's really a connected thing. And if we're disciplined to do it for four quarters, I think we can have some success this week. As we wrap this up, I wanted to talk about leadership with Max. You talked about him earlier in the week in the press conference. The stats are really piling up here for him, but I see him in the locker room right next to you yeah. in these post-game celebrations. He's yeah. the leader in and off the field. Love yeah. that about him. Yeah, he, look, he wants to win. He doesn't care about individual success. He just wants to make sure that we have more points yeah. than the other team at the end of the game. And I, that's what I love the most about him. Um, you know, he was in here the next day. We gave him the victory Monday. It doesn't apply to him. Uh, he was in here the next yeah, day at 6 a.m. And um, that's what he does. And that's why he's, he's worked himself into being a great player. And he's a great teammate and uh, a great example for our team. Finally, Coach, it feels like you've been gone for a while. You've been practicing here in Vegas, but these road games. So you come home. It's a big home game in front of the fans. Raider Nation, your message to them. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate all the support that they've given us. Like I said, we've been away for a while now. Uh, For the last five weeks, we've been on the road. But we felt their support uh, the entire time. We were able to to fight hard and get a couple wins to put ourselves back here in a little little bit of a good position at this point to try to continue our, our push. And uh, we, we can't wait to get back into Allegiant Stadium here on Sunday. We know what that's going to feel like. 
Um, I remember watching the last game of last season oh, when the Chargers were here, how loud it was. Uh, we know we're going to get a home field advantage from our crowd, and we're looking forward to you it. You had the headset on last one when the walk-off touchdown, but you heard the roar of the Raider fans, yeah. how it quieted. Unbelievable. That, I, I went back and looked at that two or three times yeah. to hear the level of oh, the yeah. crowd to know how many Raider fans traveled. There was a ton of Raider fans in Seattle, um, and it's, it doesn't surprise me anymore. You know, Now I've gotten used to it. Um, when we come out of the tunnel in pregame warm-ups on yeah. the road, there's an enormous roar, you know, and, and that's just a tribute to the kind of fans we have. Good luck against the Chargers. Thank you very much. All right, head coach Josh McDaniels brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group. Love that fact that uh, Alex DeCastaverde, who goes to the games, not, sits not too far from me, can be a part of our partnership with the head coach here. If you get into an accident and it's serious, you need help, DeCastaverde Law Group, Orlando and Alex DeCastaverde will help you. It's a family group. They take care of families, 702-222-9999. That's 702-222-9999, the DeCastaverde Law Group. All right, let's keep this thing going. Coming up next, Scott Kaplan joins us from Los Angeles. Evening drive host, big time, comes on often, especially before the Charger game. He covered the Chargers in San Diego before they fled to Los Angeles with little to no fans. I think there was like a station wagon following them, a beach van, and a couple of skateboards. Everybody in San Diego said, no, 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 we don't like L.A. We're not going with them. We'll get an update on the brand of the Chargers as they come to Vegas. Carr approaches the line here with six on the play clock. Now back into the shotgun. Raises the leg. Gets the ball. Back to pass. Lobs one near sideline. Devontae Adams. One-handed grab in front of the Seahawks bench on the 46-yard line. Oh, my goodness. Devontae Adams had Mike Jackson holding his left arm, and he holed it in with his right for 28 yards. That was a great catch. Jason Horowitz on the call. Go to Devontae, will you? Even if he's not open, go to Devontae. He's a superstar. He's an absolute star. He's the best receiver. No debate in the game. Get him the ball with the season on the line. As we go out to Los Angeles, evening drive, Scott Kaplan, ESPN 710. And, God, Cap, how long have you and I been friends and talking about Chargers, Raiders, all the games you worked the sideline for CBS? The rivalry is back. Yeah. Yeah, and, and JT, I um... – I love hearing before we come on the air, you know, the spots that talks about the division rival Los Angeles, you know, from, from where I am here, you'll hear the division rival Vegas, you know? So it is interesting how Oakland and San Diego were traditional AFC West rivals and it's the same two team names, but the cities have changed. It is kind of weird. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you get it. You know Mark Davis over the years, what's happened in Vegas. We have USC tonight, Utah. How big is that game, right? We have, we have these global concerts that you come out to with me, and the Chargers left San Diego behind, America's finest city, where the Padres were vibrant in the postseason. There's plenty of land. Even San Diego State got a new facility, and I look back and I say, how did San Diego let the Chargers and the Super Bowl get away? Right. I know. Versus versus Oakland, who the city said we have we, we will have nothing to do 
with helping you build a stadium. I mean, they made their declaration, and Mark Davis said, okay, let's go use this opportunity to upgrade. And by upgrading, he got a brand-new world-class stadium in Las Vegas, and he's in one of the most vibrant and exciting cities on the planet. I mean, you talk about the Pac-12 championship game tonight. Think about the number of people that are going to be all over the sports books tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. to watch the USA soccer team and then college football all day right into the NFL on Sunday. Mark Davis took the Raiders to a much better situation, whereas Dean Spanos left San Diego, and at the time, the Forbes list had the Chargers somewhere in like the 24th range in terms of most valuable teams in the NFL, and they've moved up to like 18th, whereas the Rams were like 30th in St. Louis and became number two in Los Angeles. So Mark Davis won. He won that whole thing, JT. He did. Scott Kaplan, ESPN 710 in L.A. So I'm impressed with the Herbert brand. I just don't know if his brand, without winning playoff games or winning a Super Bowl, is big enough to carry and help build the Charger brand in Los Angeles. He's a hell of a player. They got Khalil Mack. They got injuries. Cap, I've never seen a team every time, I won't say every time, but in the last five years, it seems like Derwin James... Mike Williams or Keenan Allen are never playing in this game. You cover the team in L.A. along with the Lakers. When are the Chargers going to be healthy? Because if they're completely healthy all year long, I think they have one of the best rosters in football. The answer to your question is never. (laughs) How is that never? Like they're not allowed to get healthy? Is there something in the water there? Uh, JT, I, I wish I had an answer. I have a theory, but the fact of the matter is, even back in some of the older days, like Raider fans who are not new Vegas Raider fans, but like old school Oakland Raider fans, there was a time when uh, Philip Rivers and uh, Ladanian Tomlinson, Antonio Gates, th- that team led yes. by those kinds of guys, they owned the Raiders. Um, but for whatever reason, something always seemed to happen. Uh, Gates hurt his foot. And couldn't play. Ladanian Tomlinson hurts his, his foot, his ankle, his knee. He's sitting underneath a, a face mask and a jacket over him and can't play in an AFC championship game. There's always been something about this team where they have on paper what people consider to be one of the best, if not the best, rosters in football, and they can't keep these guys healthy. Just this year alone, left tackle, many regard to be the best left tackle in football, gone. Well, by the way, ESPN just named him one of the top 25 players in the NFL under 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, left tackle gone. They went out into free agency and they went and got a defensive back from New England who this was their prize of their offseason. Guy hasn't played all season long. Joey Bosa went healthy. Beast. We get it. Can't stay healthy. Gone. And so I'm just picking up some of the high level. Left tackle. Defensive end. Safety. Where their money is, they cannot, for some reason, keep guys healthy. My theory is that ownership of the Chargers is the cheapest in the NFL. And when you don't do all the things that it takes to put players on the field as healthy as they can be, because you're chintzing over here in the training room and you don't hire the best doctors or the best trainers, if you don't have the latest and greatest in technology, that's my theory as to why this organization, not this year's team, why this organization cannot keep players on the field.
Very interesting theory. Scott Kaplan, my longtime friend, ESPN Radio. He's got a big, big footprint in San Diego with his podcast and radio show. And he always joins us not only ahead of this, but other big games. So I'm looking at the Chargers schedule, which is interesting to me. They're six and five. If the Raiders beat them and they're the favorite to beat the Raiders, if they just for this conversation, if Vegas wins their six and six, then they have Miami and Tennessee back to back. Miami and Tennessee. If they split that, then we're talking about seven losses. But fortunately for the Chargers down the stretch, they're at Indy. They get the Rams in that same venue, and the Rams might shut their team down. And then they're at Denver by the end of the year. So there is a path for the Chargers to get to the playoffs. But they don't got a lot of room here. And I thought the Chargers would be a playoff team before the start of the year. Yeah, um, I definitely thought they'd be competing for a shot at the playoffs. But again, you know, this is an organization that traditionally just can't keep guys on the field. So you figure that they're going to drop as the season goes on. But I will tell you this. You look at that schedule. You just talked about it. Mm -hmm. The Dolphins and the Titans in back-to-back weeks. Um, JT, the NFL will do everything they can to try and get the Chargers into the playoffs. And I don't mean like late in the year. I just mean that when they look ahead and they make the schedule – Think about that. Dolphins and Titans are quality teams, and they mm-hmm. both come to L.A. Both teams have to fly cross-country, and the Chargers get those games at home. Now, they don't really have a home-field advantage, per se, but they don't have to travel cross-country because the, the league wants L.A. Yeah. in the playoffs. Nobody expected the Rams to fall apart this way. I'm just saying that the way they make this schedule is very conducive to the Chargers potentially making it. Um, Look, I give their quarterback a ton of credit. You talked about him, Justin Herbert. He's a good player, really good player. Everybody knows that. But he's also proven this year very tough. For a guy who got hurt as early as he did with you know, all this rib cartilage issue, and mm-hmm. he takes a lot of hits, that guy keeps coming back for more. And he's the reason right now with all the injuries they have, he's the reason why these guys are even alive. Scott Kaplan. Cap, one more. I'm going to SC Utah tonight, which is a massive game. Allegiant Stadium. You talk about Mark Davis winning. Yeah, we're winning tonight. We have the marquee college football game here in town. Great weather. 5 p.m. start. The whole country's going to watch. You're there, and you're there with USC. I mean, Lincoln Riley purged Oklahoma and brought the quarterback in who should have the Heisman unless he just crashes tonight. This is big. What's the vibe like? Because everybody, and I lived in L.A. for 10 years, and people are like, you know, it's great when UCLA, USC, LeBron, the Clippers, Chargers, Rams, the Ducks, the Kings, everything's going. But everybody talks about this USC mystique, and I believe in it. When USC is rolling, where do you rank them in the hierarchy as biggest sports brands in all of Los Angeles? I'd say number three. Okay. behind the Lakers and the Dodgers, right? but well ahead of the Rams. I mean, light years ahead of the Chargers. Uh, I mean, the Chargers don't really rate in L.A. I mean, the, the L.A. Sparks rate higher than the Chargers do. <laughs> so they're, they're way back. But USC football, JT, just to give you an example, I was at a game a couple of weeks ago against Cal at the Coliseum. First time I've been in the Coliseum since they've redone it. Oh, my God, dude. As many NFL games as you've been to, and as crazy as Allegiant Stadium looks, because I've not been in it yet, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 what they do for the the big money boosters at USC, the spread I've never seen as decadent a spread, dude. I mean, they must be flying in and importing stone crabs from Miami every <laughs> week to make these people happy. The point I'm trying to make is this: it was against Cal, and the, and the Coliseum was packed. 
and they they become more of a of a show. And Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC, his name is not well known, but I'm telling you right now, Mike Bone pulled off one of the all time great coups by going to Oklahoma when no one thought Lincoln Riley was some available guy, and essentially stealing Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. as you point out, bringing Caleb Williams. Then they go into the transfer portal, and they get the number one wide receiver in college football from a year ago, the, the Blitnikoff Award winner. Mm-hmm. And really, the most impressive part about what Lincoln Riley has done this year is there are 40 new players on the USC team. 40 guys from USC left, and 40 new guys came in. Can you imagine 40 new guys, and you've been able to put together a team that is, I would say, well ahead of schedule and potentially headed towards the playoff. It's been an amazing story of USC this year, and they have taken over the headlines, particularly in football, as the Super Bowl champions have completely fallen apart. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. I'm getting texts and tweets about your L.A. Sparks over the Chargers remark. People like that already. (laughs) Instant gratification. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Have a great Hanukkah, great holiday season. Thanks for doing this. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and to everybody listening, and uh, go Trojans tonight. Absolutely. There he is, Scott Kaplan, everybody. Good guy. And uh, I'd rather, instead, we know Justin Herbert, Khalil Mack, Derek Carr, we get all that. I think the big story, the fun story to debate is the difference between the Charger brand and the Raider brand. Raiders are global, the Chargers aren't. But the Chargers are in L.A., much bigger market than Vegas. But Vegas is different. You don't look at market size with Vegas. When Garth Brooks decides to do a residency, he does it in Vegas. He doesn't do it in a larger market like Boston. He doesn't do it in Houston, which is a larger market. He does it in Vegas. So when everybody says, well, JT, it's not the, it's not the biggest media market. Stop it. It's Vegas. Okay? It's Las Vegas. We're the entertainment capital of the world. And it's a hub for Raider fans globally, especially in the Southwest, to come from Oakland, Los Angeles, and in Vegas, and come from the surrounding areas. And this has got to be a home field advantage. There's going to be some games where their other opponents are going to have a lot of fans because they want to come see their team. And I say welcome them. They're going to have to fill the hotel rooms or help and pay for all this. But that's, not, that's never going to be the case with the Chargers. Never going to be the case with the Chargers. Unless Justin Herbert wins two Super Bowls in five years, and then that brand's going to get bigger. And the Raiders can help stop that. John Sassenti, president of the Las Vegas Bowl, he's going to join us next on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Takes the snap. Back to pass. Steps up in the pocket, fires down the middle, intercepted! Perriman at midfield, 40, 35-30, and he's finally tripped out and taken down on the near sideline. Denzel Perriman dropped back in coverage, and he picked it off and took it back 25 yards to set up the Raiders in great field position. Need a big game from Perriman, okay? He had an interception, the connection to the Chargers, he's got to have a big game period someone in that defense in the middle of the field better make a play or herbert will play pitch and catch all day on sunday jt back with you we're brought to you by virgin hotels las vegas where i get a chance to see my good friend john sasenti the executive director of espn events in the las vegas bowl as we get set for the las vegas bowl and happy birthday yesterday my friend how was it 
JT, how you doing, buddy? I appreciate that. Um, it was actually not very exciting. It's, it's the middle <laughs> of bowl season, yes. so things are a little bit busy. And you know, the Pac-12 championship game is here today. So um, I, I, we called it a birthday party last night, but it was a, the, the commissioner's reception at Allegiant Stadium uh, for some drinks and some food and some some uh, some good times. So it was a good day. Yeah, I think this is amazing. Here, before we get to your game, to the matchup of USC. It's the perfect storm for the Pac-12 to be here before SC and UCLA leaves the Pac-12 to have SC playing a game of this magnitude. So give us the big picture with seedings, the college football playoff, the Heisman's on the line for Caleb Williams, and how big of a deal this is tonight. Yeah, it, look, the, the Pac-12 could not have scripted it any better, right? You have, a, you have a team that won the Pac-12 last year, back in it this year, has an unbelievable fan base that loves traveling to see their team in, in, in Utah. Um, you know, obviously they, they, they announced the sellout yesterday. So uh, clearly everybody from Utah is fired up and, you know, SC has been down for, for a couple of years. And I think anybody that you listen to or talk to at the, at the beginning of the year said, Hey, uh, you know, in two years, Lincoln Riley's going to have that thing dialed in and SC is going to be back. Well, it didn't take him two years. He did it right away. Um, which, which, which has to say, uh, it, has to, it shows you exactly what kind of coach he is, what an, what an unbelievable coaching job he's done. So I'm heading down there tonight. I'm excited for that game. Uh, obviously, there's, there's not only major implications with regards to the college football playoff, uh, with, with uh, USC sitting there at number four. If they lose, who gets in? Is, it a, is Ohio State back in? Is Alabama back in? What happens there? Um, but quite frankly, there's Las Vegas Bowl implications coming on with that game as well. With you know, if Utah wins that game, uh, they go to the Rose Bowl, and, and, and it, and it kind of shakes up the rest of the order in the Pac-12. Uh, but, it, you know, if USC wins but, but, but blows Utah out, uh, it possibly changes who wants to pick what team where. So we're going to be paying close attention to it. Um, and and I'll, I'll be honest with you, though, I, I expect it to be a really good game with those two teams. Yeah, wife and I will be down there. Look forward to seeing you. John Sassenti our guest. So, I want to talk about your life at this time of year as you're waiting for the matchup and you're traveling around, you're on the phones thinking about this best-case scenario. It's always a great scenario for a bowl game in Vegas, but now with the potential matchups, what are you looking for? You just mentioned the Pac-12. What are some of the other games around the country that could have a big impact on your selection? Yeah, it's funny, it's funny you mention uh, the, the first part to that is yesterday I was uh, I had already gone through two full batteries on my phone. I was on my third charge uh, by one thirty in the afternoon, and and uh, here we are at at, at twelve fifty, and I'm and I'm getting dangerously close to being through my second one uh, today alone. But it's a uh, you know it, it's a lot of phone calls with potential schools, uh, potential folks that want to come to Las Vegas, maybe. Um, thinking about Las Vegas, and then quite frankly, it's calling every other bowl director in the country to kind of get a sense of what they're doing. It's 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 just a lot of phone conversations. I will tell you, in the last five days, it's changed twelve different times. It's it's amazing how much uh, the, the slightest little thing has a domino effect and a ripple effect on on every other uh, their, every other bowl game. But 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 listen, the SEC is is our other conference partner, mm-hmm. um, and, and and we're the only Pac-12 SEC matchup in the entire country here in Las Vegas. So that's pretty exciting. But that that SEC championship game is also going to have an impact on the Las Vegas Bowl. If 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 LSU wins, obviously that changes the landscape of a lot of different things. Sure, um, including you know what Citrus Bowl does, what the College Football Playoff looks like. But if if Georgia happens to blow out LSU. 
uh, does that change the landscape from things? Do, do, does the Citrus Bowl take a, a slightly different look at LSU sitting there uh, towards the top? And then obviously it, it has ripple effects in the, uh, in, in the pool which, which we sit in. So both games, tonight and tomorrow, have a lot of implications on our game in particular. We're going to be paying close attention. And, and then uh, Saturday night will be a late one, back on the phone talking to everybody once we have the results of these championship games. John Sassenti, Executive Director of the Las Vegas Bowl, ESPN event. So just in general, when we talk about it, and we love college football, but you're in the business, as we go to 12 teams, you're always going to have a big date and a big game in Vegas. So everybody wants to come to Vegas, and they're thrilled to come here. But how is it going to affect it? I I know it's going to be good for business because more teams are going to be invited. But when you're asked the question, what happens to USC Notre Dame? What happens to Michigan Ohio State? Now it's a must-win game. The loser could be eliminated. And in years to come, people are going to say it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal in Ann Arbor or Ohio State, but it won't knock a team out of a 12-team playoff. Yeah, you're you're right. And and listen, I I understand both sides of the argument. I understand both both sides' perspective, right? More teams involved. It gives people a chance to to get into the playoff. You never know what's going to happen week in and week out. Um, I, I do. I, I really do understand that. Um, I, I happen to be not one of those people, though. I, I, love, I love the regular season of, of college football that every single week matters. Every game matters. Fans are showing up at the stadium because they know every game matters. Uh, they don't think they can take a week off and go, ah, it's not going to matter. We can lose two games and we'll still be fine. And now I'll focus on the playoffs. Uh, that's not what college football has been all about. I, I, I like the fact that um, the regular season matters, and every 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 game in the regular season matters. Um, and 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 then when we get to the, the the process that's in now, it protects a lot of the bowl games. And 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 listen, there's some people out there that say we don't need some of these bowl games. But if you go to some of those communities and you talk to you know the local businesses and the local hotel operators uh, and the restaurants, and, and when they get that big boost and they get to see their community uh, on national TV and it puts them on the map and you know, they, they, they get to experience big time football in their in their markets. Tell them that it doesn't matter because those are the people mm-hmm. that absolutely love having it there and they and they love every part of it. Um, and, and these kids, I, I, I talked to I talked to the folks at, at, in the football staff from the University of Florida today, and they were talking about potentially Vegas being one of the places that they would go. And they were shocked at the number of kids who have not only never been to Las Vegas, but have never been out west. Right. And so for them, that was really exciting to go, we've got kids that are going to get to experience Las Vegas in a, in a totally different way like they've never done before, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't happen without this trip to the bowl game. John, how do we get tickets for the Las Vegas Bowl? Real easy, buddy. LVBowl.com, right on our website, right on the front homepage, there's a button that just says, get your tickets here. Um, tickets have actually been moving pretty good. Uh, I, I think, I think um, you know, it, it, it's always hard when you're trying to sell tickets to a game where I can't tell you who's playing until two weeks before. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we've always created, we've created a really good, fun, festive, collegiate environment. We've always had pretty good matchups. And with this year, we have the SEC, who never comes out to Las Vegas, rarely comes out west, and has the only SEC Pac-12 matchup in the country. So I think that's got some people's attention. Uh, and I think they're going to come out and try to try to enjoy some big-time college football on Saturday afternoon, the 17th. I look forward to our next conversation on the radio with the matchup, and I'll see you tonight. 
JT, you keep doing what you're doing, man. You're the best in the business. You're a good friend, and anything you need, you give me a call. You got it. John Sassante, everybody. Appreciate him having him on today. It's a big college football day today. We've been dealing with the Raiders and their opportunity to keep winning. The Dave Ziegler interview was up. We're getting some nice feedback from that. You can get that at Raiders.com. It's right there. The conversation with the coach, which will air Saturday night on ABC, the TV portion of that interview. And then the big game tonight, and then... The Black Hole's got a party at Sahara. Everybody get to the Black Hole party Saturday night. Final hour of the week coming up next.